Hey. Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. I am Cece. I am Alex. I'm James. We're also joined by Archer here. He might make some babbling noises during our recording. He just started mm. babbling this week. So we can say ba 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 and da da da. You said, you said it sounded like ma 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 a couple times there. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's usually the first three phonemes a baby comes up with. <laughs> All right, yeah, just ruin it, James. <laughs> All right, well, this week, Alex, what are we talking about this week? Uh, yeah, this is from patron Chris Calvero, and he submitted that we talk about uh, natural disasters, but especially more cataclysmic. Yeah. The cataclysmic variety. Terrifying ones that will make you lose sleep at night. Nice. Civilization ending, as or we know it. Cool. Make you welcome. Sweet, sweet embrace. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, James, how have you been other than researching? Uh, I've been okay. It's been a busy month, and I'm pleased to announce that tomorrow, as per the time of this recording, I should be receiving Poir in the mail. Poir. So I'm glad to hear. I was going to ask you if your wonderful tarantula had arrived yet. Not yet. But soon. Yeah, it's warmer now, so hopefully he's feeling feeling good in the hood. That's you know definitely I mean? a factor, and so I am very glad. That well, we got lots of rain down here. Did you get a lot of rain, James? Oh, my God. It's basically flooded up here. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's can he constant. swim? Can Poir can swim? Oh, oh. Alex. <laughs> they, they can, so I'm not worried. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, well, it's like a Pearl Harbor scenario, you know, when the, the boat's sinking and there's people trapped underneath. He's like, ah! Alex. Oh, my God. <laughs> I should have probably referenced a different movie, but that's the one that always comes up. Yeah, I was going to say, we might get some letters, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm referencing the movie, not the historical event. <laughs> Alex, Alex always has a movie reference yeah. up his sleeve. But maybe not the most appropriate that's, one. That's our new icebreaker, by the way. Could your pet survive 9-11? Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. You should both be ashamed of yourself. You know what I do want to hear, though, is a true icebreaker. James, do you have an icebreaker for us this week? Uh, yeah, actually. And and we, we've kind of pro- discussed this before, but I don't know if we've discussed it on the podcast, which is uh, like – there's a big collapse, you know, everything just, we, we, we just go right back to the stone ages. A fraction of humanity survives. What's the first thing you're going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> Cry a lot. That's probably the first thing I'm going to do, but okay. I would want to I, see. And this is something that I found myself doing like in real what? life, trying to make friends with people that have different skills I would go and find James. That's what I would do, because James would know how to help me survive. You said this is an apocalypse scenario? Yes. Mm. Well, I would need to find somebody who's well-equipped, because, I mean, uh, we, we just gave people survival gifts for Christmas, for fun. Uh, and, uh, well, that means they're no longer in our house, well, so we're now Alex, we're ill-equipped. Oh. I actually got you some of them, too. Oh, well, now I'm well-equipped. I don't actually need James anymore. <laughs> Um. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't go straight to cannibalism. I thought that's where you were going to go immediately. Is that a hint as to where you're going, James? Uh, no, it is not. Oh, praise no, gosh. Not. It's worse, actually. I, I, <laughs> I, I would probably I would probably get Wesley Snipes. That way, if there are like any vampires or anything because of the endless darkness, um, he can help me out. There you go. Good deal. Cece, if you didn't know that. I did not know that. that. That's another movie reference for Alex. That makes go. two this episode so far. Leslie Sipes. <laughs> James, <laughs> what would you do? Well, even when you're dealing with a fraction of the population, there's a lot of chaos, and it's hard to get people to cooperate in chaotic situations. So they need an us versus them kind of mindset. So I would start a cult, brand all the people who aren't in the cult heretics, and wage a holy war against them. James, <laughs> good lord, you were, you were right, it is worse Hey, hey, I like it You should be ashamed of hey, if you just add, Legion. If you just add Wesley Snipes to your plan, it's Exactly, it'd be fantastic I would be happy that social media wouldn't be there So it's like we wouldn't have to log on and mm. see 
all the influencers yeah, I'm going, so... it's so hard. <laughs> you only need one influencer, me, because I speak directly to the Godhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, listen, uh, this is – this. Icebreaker has upset me, James. Oh, I thought. <laughs> just like these, just like all the topics we're going to be talking about today. And James, yeah. how about you? Don't like going first, do you? Alex likes going first, right? I'm the one that likes going first. But James yeah. might. James, James likes to really uh, hit home at the end. Really leave our Usually. listeners depressed and doubting their existence. <laughs> yeah. That's true, Alex. How about you start us off today? I think it's appropriate. Hang on, sorry. I'm grabbing a, a passy off the ground. Um, I think that's appropriate because I can't remember what your all topics were, except for your CCs, I guess. <laughs> so just your James. But this one. No, I'm laughing because this is basic. I just realized you guys are new parent ASMR yeah. channel. <laughs> <laughs> one, Archer makes noises. But two, when you, when you guys do something in relation to him, you say that you're doing it. And it, it adds like an ASMR. I'm getting the pacifier right now. <laughs> And then you got the pacifier noise when you take it out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it makes sense for me to go first since my topic is beneath the earth. Beneath Ooh. the earth. No, or at least it, its origins are there. So shout out to The Week for their article, Six Volcanoes That Could Shut Down the World, which is where I got most of my information. Now, their, their list is just a hodgepodge. It, it, there's no rhyme or reason for their list, so I distilled it down from least catastrophic to most. <laughs> okay. and I, didn't, I didn't realize how bad that there were other ones I uh, could possibly <laughs> get, um, other than the one that everyone kind of, well, not everyone, but a lot of people know, the Yellowstone right. uh, volcano. Uh, so the first one I had was Katla in Iceland, which last erupted in 1918. Uh, apparently they're really expecting this thing to pop off because it's 10 times stronger than the explosion of its sister volcano. And I'm not, I'm going to try to say it. A Jafajal Al-Jakul. Zizi, come take a look at this. Oh yeah. You know, I'm not going to be able to say that. Jafajal Al-Jakul. Which exploded in 2010. Now, this will be causing lots of damage in, in the economy and leaving people stranded and they're uh, at the airport, not able to travel. Um, but they do think that this the since this would be stronger than the last, than its sister volcano, that it would shoot up into the air, covering large areas of Europe for a very long period of time. It would just really be very, really inconvenient. Oh, the threat, The threat to life is... Not huge, except for in an economic capacity, because Archer, buddy, what are you doing? He, he was talking he's, about volcanoes. He's trying to blow on his passy. Um, he's trying to correct you guys. He's saying it's Eyjafjallajökull. yoku. But really, the only effect on on life would be a severe recession or a depression, which it, luckily it's not like you know immediate death and destruction, followed by. Depression and recession, a recession then depression. Um, so that that's it's overdue for its next explosion. Do they have? They, they say it should be it should be on an eighty year rotation, and it's way past that. Okay. So we're still waiting for it now. Um, okay. Next, we got one that we've all heard of, Mount Vesuvius. Nineteen forty four was its last one. This again, this is the one that's famous for wiping out Pompeii that we talked about in an episode. Okay. Very fun stuff. Oh. But if you close your eyes, doesn't it seem like nothing changed at all? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so now, three million people live near the volcano. Six hundred thousand are considered in the red zone. And they think that if this thing did erupt right now, it would immediately kill 8,000 8, people with a, just a lot of damage. But they also think that Naples would become a lifeless desert in the aftermath. Uh, and that one's overdue as well. Now, the next one is we're starting to get into the juicy goodness of destruction. Oh, gosh. Uh, this is Mount Tambora. So... Tambora erupted in 1815, and it was so catastrophic that it changed weather patterns around the globe. It caused Italy to get frost in June and snow in Virginia in July. Where is this one located? 
This one's in Indonesia. Okay. Some that's, that's the thing people don't think about, which you'll probably uh-huh. cover in a minute anyway. But but is the 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 darkness? Yeah. I mean, I mean, and it caused the failure of crops all across Europe yeah. and the Americas. Even though it was in Indonesia, it was the year without a summer, if I remember right. Like there was there was some word in relation to a volcano. I can't remember which one, but there was a year without a summer. The funny thing is that James remembers that personally because he was alive. (laughs) Yeah, I was there. Yeah, (laughs) rough year, you guys. (laughs) There's definitely no hot boy summer. That that one. Um, (laughs) And this one killed seventy one thousand people. Directly and then far more because of the famine and sickness. I like cost. that you're like sitting here talking about making hot boy summer jokes and then follow it up with 71,000 people. <laughs> it was 200 years ago. Oh my gosh. Mm. But it's still active and they think it's due for another explosion. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Go on. It's being closely. <laughs> we <monitored>. will get letters. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but we can use those to keep our fires warm. Um, there we go. The next one is Popocatapel Popocatapetl in Mexico. Uh, it, it, it's been ongoing since the early 2000s. And a lot of it's because of all of its eruptions, it's because it's become very tall because it's just kind of slowly going. So it's the third tallest active volcano. And the reason I put this one in this place is because this Volcano is 40 miles west of Mexico City, which has 18 that is a million huge people. Populated area. Yeah. 18 yeah. million people 40 miles away from this enormous volcano. Uh, one one question, James. Why do we build popul why why do we build giant cities near these giant ticking time well, bombs? You know, they're they're pretty good for the soil, I'll say that, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Volcanic soil, usually rich in iron. And, and usually you don't plan 100, 200, even 100,000 years in, in advance sometimes. So. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, we, yeah, your average person is not so great at planning their week in advance. <laughs> so. they, probably, they probably built the city this thing and it was a mountain and then found out it was a volcano later. And they're like, eh, yeah. we're already here. We're here. Yep, let's keep the party going. Um, yep. So they do think the eruption would obviously cause catastrophic loss of life, causing okay. mudslides that would... Kill the uh, the populations in the valley around it. Do, Archer yeah? does not like that oh. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the volcano has been dormant for eighty years, and so it's had some recent seismic activity mm. and even two explosions in September of twenty twenty two. So mm. this thing could go at any point soon. Do yeah. they do they have any way of knowing or predicting when a volcano might erupt? No, they don't. They, they, they always yeah. think they know, but really, if they know, it's going to be like a day's notice, day probably, advance. and maybe it's going to be yeah. By the time they they inform the general public, it's going to be a pretty late for the vast, 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 vast majority of people to really do anything about it. Okay. Yeah, it's just hard for them to predict. I mean. We see them say, like, you know, these are past due, but they, they have no idea. They really don't. Right. Um, they just can do their best because it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to practice because there's so few eruptions. So it's like, you can't get your practice in and learn. I mean, the weatherman can't even get the weather right from day to day. I was told sure. when I worked in news, you should only look at your weather forecasts three days in advance. Anything beyond three yeah. days is not... You have no idea. Yeah, right. I believe it. That's why I love those like 10 week forecasts. It's like you're just going by like, you're like, it's going to be probably warm because it's June. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then the, the next to last one is Cumbre uh, Vieja, which was in La Palma, Canary Islands. It erupted in 1971. This one is the one that I was like kind of shocked that I didn't know about because. This eruption pretty much wipes out the eastern portion of the United States. How far in? So when this volcano erupts, its western flank apparently is going to fall into the sea. It causes a huge wave. It creates not just a tsunami, a mega tsunami in the Atlantic. It's going to be traveling 500 miles per hour. Archer. 
Archer's very worried about this. We're in we're in the flood zone here. <laughs> Traveling 500 miles per hour, and it would wipe out Florida. So Florida would be gone. Florida would be wiped out. So you're telling me that we should oh, not man. get any uh, any vacation properties down in Florida? Maybe. So coastal uh, coastal Brazil would be gone, <laughs> and parts of Europe would get hit with a 160 foot wave, probably. How 160 foot high? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize that like that was that that type of damage is capable where we are. I always thought, oh, we're away from Yellowstone. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great. Oh, well, the, yeah. the famine is the worst bit. Even if we're yeah. <laughs> Get ready for a year without a summer. Okay. All right. But the the good news is that they do say that the year to year probability of this thing is. Very low. It might have an eruption, but the chances of it having a major eruption are pretty small right now. But they do think that we should probably uh, do some sort of preparation just in case. But I don't know what kind of preparation you could do uh, for something like that. And then, of course, we've got to cover the granddaddy. The Yellowstone Super Volcano. This is one I feel like everybody knows about. And if you do look online about this one, they'll be like, oh, it was 70,000 years ago. Like, that's the first response. Like, when did this thing last uh, erupt? But that was like a minor eruption. Its big eruption was 640,000 years ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, this was a big one. And when it does go off again, it will render a gigantic portion of North America from Vancouver to Oklahoma City, uninhabitable. And it would obviously have just insane human and economic consequences. A lot of people would be dead. I mean, you're, you're shutting down a lot of farmland uh, there. And just, oof, bad, bad, bad. And that's not even including all the smoke and ash and Everything when it, when that spills out and what it does to all of the weather because that's going to be a much higher magnitude than anything else we've seen. So it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be bad, you know, thirty like, degrees in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. The the last eruption that was like of a similar magnitude was seventy three thousand years ago in uh, Sumatra, and it plunged the entire planet into a decade long volcanic winter and nearly wiped out the human race. Pretty interesting. I don't like that. Yeah, and and the likelihood of this, they see see signs that it could be be preparing for another major explosion soon, although relative to the existence of the Earth, I guess, because soon could mean thousands of years from now. (laughs) But I've seen articles, too, where they're trying to find ways to mitigate it if it does blow by like drilling or dumping water into Mm. it yeah there's i don't there's a lot of solutions that could maybe work and maybe not work you know it feels like it's such a big event that it'd be hard to mitigate but i bet there are a lot of ways to probably do it Mm. but yellowstone uh does some pretty crazy things before like there was a blast 2.1 million years ago known as the huckleberry ridge tough eruption that was like so big that it, it its magma chamber collapsed and it left a fifty a crater fifty miles long and forty miles wide. Whoa! Yeah, and, and then another huge super eruption. This is the the last one, six hundred thirty one thousand years ago. Uh, it expelled so many uh, one thousand cubic kilometers of rock and left ash ash deposits across the western U.S., southern Canada, and New Mexico. And so they, they they also announced that they noticed two other super eruptions um, about 8.7 million years ago, which is kind of interesting in how they they found it. But how they found out it was two was interesting. Essentially, it had created these big volcanic glass deposits. And there was like a small difference between the two that are on top of each other. And they thought originally it was like one and said it was two. And it meant that this thing actually kind of erupted twice over a decade. And Ooh. so it had two big events in a very 
small period of time. So you're telling me that we could have a volcanic winter that's not just one decade long, but two decades long. Why not? Yeah. Let's mix it up a little bit, you know? (laughs) So in your, uh, I guess, expert opinion now. (laughs) Yeah, I am an expert now. I I read two or three articles. (laughs) (laughs) Like, <laughs> what should we be afraid of a super volcano ending humanity you shouldn't not in this lifetime so we'll be okay but our ancestors might not be deep ancestors but even then they'll probably figure out a solution i guess it's not ancestors are our descendants yes yes our descendants. Yes. yes but um but yeah i would imagine that they will probably Find a solution or have migrated. They'll probably put like a giant glass dough over it. And so when it explodes, <laughs> they'll just keep it all in there. It'll be like a beautiful snow globe. <laughs> Listen. yeah. <laughs> I like how I decided it was glass. The thing that's definitely going to annihilate. <laughs> 3D printed. A, a, nano par- a nano poly polycarbonate. Of some sort. Hey, guys, Alex is looking to work on these natural disaster mitigation plans. So if anybody's hiring, Alex is full of those ideas. I've got ideas. If you need a, a nanocarbonite-ologist, I'm your guy. All right. Well, <laughs> Alex, thank you for telling us about super volcanoes. Yeah. I'm going to go next. And I'm talking about asteroids. Ooh. Yes. And this is something like when I was doing my research, you guys, I spiraled for a minute. I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrifying. But I got most of my information from Forbes, nationalgeographic.co.uk, planetary.org, and fizz.org. Fizz? Yes. P-H-Y-S.org. I'm going to talk about a number of things. On my agenda, I've got past asteroid collisions, more recent near misses, the odds of a giant asteroid hitting Earth now. The NEOCC asteroid risk list, which I'll talk about that in a minute. And then what we're doing to try to mitigate the risk of Earth being destroyed by a giant space rock in the future. Giant polycarbonate ramp. <laughs> Full of ideas, I'm telling you. No. So, oh, wow. asteroid collisions in the past, and by past I mean millions of years ago. The one I'm talking about first is, you guessed it. The Chicxulub event. I probably butchered that. I'm sure that's right. It happened 65 million mm. years ago, and it's the one that killed all the dinosaurs. Oh, I did not know that was the name of it. Yeah, neither did I until I was doing this research. And neither do our listeners, because you probably pronounced it wrong. Yeah, I, I will say, though, <laughs> Gwen came home from school about two weeks ago, and she said, Mommy, I know what killed all the dinosaurs. And I said, what? An asteroid? She goes, no, it was a volcano. And I was like, huh? James. Is she right? Am uh, I wrong? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't remember what killed the dinosaurs. It probably depends on what timeline you're in. Well, just listen. Just listen. Yeah. This is what might have happened. I think that this is what she might have been getting that from. Astro- it was a biggie. It was about six to nine miles in diameter. So it was not a tiny little space rock that hit Earth. When it happened, it supposedly landed in an ocean, which then caused mega tsunamis. So water everywhere. Mm, Additionally, sure. lots of Earth bounced off the Earth, and then it came uh, back down. Oh. And as it fell, caught fire, and it started a whole bunch of wildfires. Uh, is what they think. Wow. And then all the dinos—I nice. just imagine all the dinos like running around screaming, like, "Oh, what's happening?" <laughs> but volcanoes might have erupted, so maybe. Gwen actually learned that it was an asteroid-induced volcanic eruption. I think that's definitely what she meant. Yeah. That makes sense. Because, you know, it it wasn't like overnight, you know. Most of it was starvation and stuff from basically the whole climate being altered. The dust blocking out the sun, leading to freezing winter for years. It was a mess, you guys. It was an absolute gosh Not great if you're... 70-foot iguana. Yeah, Yeah, scary, Harry. So that was one of the biggest (laughs) asteroid collisions to ever happen here on Earth. Another notable collision, and this one was more recent. It was in 1908. 30-meter-in-diameter asteroid didn't hit Earth, 
but it flew into the atmosphere and that's where it exploded. And it happened above Tunguska, Russia. And it, mm. the explosion was so large that it knocked down over 80 million trees over 830 square mile area. Golly. Yes. They think that the, mm. uh, the explosion was 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Mm. Without so, the radiation. Fortunately, there was nobody in the area. It was happened in a very not populated place. So almost so, all of Russia. <laughs> so nobody died, fortunately. More recently, the Chelyabinsk event over Chelyabinsk, Russia in 2013. Oh, yeah. I know this one. Yes. Which, surprise, surprise, I was working in news at the time. And I remember when it happened. I remember seeing all the stuff coming in over all the news. Yeah. Well, it wasn't cool. In a terrifying way. Yeah. Terrifying way is what I'll say. But the, the rocket exploded before hitting Earth, so not any actual impact damage, but it did create a shockwave that hurt lots of people. 1,500 mm. people injured, 7,200 buildings damaged. So these people, curious little cats, they see this thing flying through the air, which part of me is like, I can imagine like looking and seeing that and be like, oh, what's that? They walk over yeah. their windows. It'd be tough not to. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I don't know, you guys. They they look out their windows, they see this thing flying, they're like, what is that? And then it explodes. Boom. And the shockwave mm. blows out all of their windows. So there was lots of flying glass injuries. So note to self, if mm. you guys ever see anything flying through the sky that looks like, oh, that might be an asteroid, don't stand next to your window. Go to the center of your house and cover yourself with a blanket or something. Yeah. I don't know. Or, or stand to the side of the window stand and get your phone. Way. And just angle it so you can watch it on your phone. That way your hand only gets a little bit of damage. <laughs> yeah, you got to get the, get all that social media cred. Yeah. yeah. Like, look, look what I saw. No, well, I have the biggest flight response when it comes to fight or flight. Anything. Yeah. So I know that I would probably <laughs> run to the center of my house, but ah, cover my face. We had when there was when the, <laughs> James. <laughs> what was that? Is there a bear over there? <laughs> <laughs> that was a suppressed laugh that didn't pan out well. No, there was a there when there was the twister or the funnel cloud that went over Alex's parents' house. I saw a trampoline fly over the house, and I immediately picked up one. I ran in that bathroom, and one was just. She was wearing a little helmet. She was like, what's going on? No. <laughs> and I'm staying out there. Look at that. Yeah. Alex and his dad are standing right next to the window as all this debris flies by. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what Alex would do if there was a asteroid flying over town. We know what I would do. I would be the reason that we survive. Okay. So. What are the odds of Earth being hit by a devastating asteroid to end humanity today? According to astronomers, they say that asteroids of that magnitude might happen every 100 million years or so. Um, last one was 65 million years ago. But little teeny tiny meteoroids do hit Earth all the time, like little teeny tiny ones. So for some reason, they they rarely land in populated areas. They mostly land like in the ocean, which I guess kind of makes sense. But your chance of being killed by one are also incredibly small. You pose a greater chance of being killed crossing the street than you do getting hit by a meteorite. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> but one astronomer put the odds of death by meteorite at one in seven hundred thousand in a lifetime. That seems really low. On others, it's really low. Others say one in sixteen million. Or 1.6 yeah. million. Uh, that sounds more That rapid. seems even yeah. That seems even high to well, me. The thing, I feel like if that was true. Yeah. That's true. There's like 8 billion right. people. Right. I feel like world. we would get a news story yeah. every like couple months. Like, <laughs> man was struck by a meteor yeah, while fishing. A, like, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, only like three people get killed a year by sharks. And that's probably in that vicinity. Yeah. No, you have a greater chance of being killed by a shark than being hit by a, a meteorite. And, and this is the thing, because there were some websites that I saw that said, oh, you know, they, they predict that 1,000 people a year are killed by meteorites. And I was like, this is not true. <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't cite that, that source because I didn't use them. But 
Can you? That would be the worst weather movie, by the way. Remember back when there were all those weather movies? Oh, yeah. Like, I think it was in the late 90s. Imagine asteroids, and it's literally just like people randomly getting beat <laughs> asteroid debris. Well, there's only oh. possibly one known record of somebody actually being killed by a meteorite, and that happened in one in 1.600,000 is our current mathematical <laughs> estimate. <laughs> This is back in 1888. The record supposedly translates because it's it's not written in English, obviously, but they think it describes the incident as, quote, a strong bright light was accompanied by smoke and traveled toward a village. So that's how they think, oh, maybe it was a meteorite that hit and killed this guy and injured one other person. So that was we, a catapult. we suspect that it was a meteorite <laughs> in 1954, though, you guys, an Alabama woman was hurt when one flew through her house and hit her on the hip. Ann Hodges, bless her soul. She was just snoozing on her couch, minding her own business. When all of a sudden there's this loud crash noise, goes boom. And then there's dust everywhere. She wakes up and she's like, What's going on? <laughs> Huge bruise the size of a football on her hip. And I showed Alex a picture. Yeah, it was it, big. It was big. You can actually look it up. She basically got punch buggy from the <laughs> That's insane. Punch buggy by God. Well, they think of the. the yeah. Meteorite that hit her broke into two when it hit the atmosphere, and they found the other one miles away, I think. But that piece you can actually see at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, which I've seen it. And I remember looking at it and thinking, man, it would hurt to be hit by a meteorite. So anyway, Ann Hodges, look her up. You could see. But let's talk about that asteroid risk list kept by the European Space Agency's Near-Earth Object Coordination Center, or the NEOCC, as I mentioned earlier. They have a list of asteroids that they're keeping their eyes on, and it's a list of over 1,300 asteroids. One of the more notable ones is asteroid 1950 DA, and it was first spotted in, can you guess the year? Yes, 1950. And then it disappeared, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's gone. (laughs) And then it came back up on our radar in 2001, and... Uh, It's two-thirds of a mile across and could potentially hit Earth. The estimate is if it were to hit Earth on March 16th, 2880. So we don't really have to worry about it right now. Um, Most other asteroids on this risk list are less than 10 meters wide, so they pale in comparison to the size of 1950 DA. And at first, astronomers thought it had a 1 in 300 chance of hitting Earth, but then they refined their estimates just last year, and they determined the chances are actually one in 50,000. So that's kind of like good news mm. for anybody who's still living on Earth in 2080, 2880 rather. Um, and if you're worried, if you're still worried about asteroids destroying Earth, some more good news. Last year, NASA smashed a spacecraft into an asteroid some 7 million miles away from Earth. Did you know that, Alex? Yeah, I do. Yes. Uh, they changed its course. It happened on September 27th, and it's the first time in history that humans have in, ever that humans have ever intentionally changed the course of an object in space. And the spacecraft was called the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, aka DART. It, it smashed into an a- asteroid called Dimorphos. That's a cool name. Yes. So it's bananas. It's it's bananas, but. I don't know. That kind of put my heart at ease when it comes to just the possibility of death by massive mm. asteroid. Cause I, I don't know. It's like, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Unfortunately, that is something that we can, unlike volcanoes, we can look up in space and go, Oh, there's, there's this giant rock hurtling toward earth. What do we need to do about it? And then, you know, don't objects appear pretty quickly though out of space sometimes or not. I don't, I don't think so. No. I think for the most part, we've got a pretty good idea that they're floating around. Like, like a 1950 DA, we saw it in the 1950s, and then yeah, but then we lost track of it, and then it was like, bam, I'm back. Yes, but here's the thing: technology has improved so much since 1950, right? Ooh, yeah. So, yeah, your it's risk list, I would say, risk less. Alex, <laughs> Alex, don't don't put that on the Earth, okay? You don't taunt <laughs> the universe. All right, James, what are you talking about? Uh, well, I was originally going to talk about the magnetic field, and I'm going to touch on it, but I'm going to talk about something else because I changed my mind last minute, and with good oh. reason. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a surprise. <laughs> it's actually something we're going to talk about later this year for what? sure. But um, yeah, but this is a little different angle of it. But uh, but first, I will talk about the prospect of the Earth's magnetic field flipping or going Ugh. away. The flippity flop. And main reason why I want to talk about it is because of what I learned about it, which is that it's not scary at all. <laughs> so the Earth has a magnetic field, and the reason why it has a magnetic field is we have a core that's made out of liquid metal, and that core is very, very hot. It's hotter than 1043 Kelvin, which is the Curie point temperature, which is when the orientation of spins for iron atoms become random instead of a given. And that leads to ebbs and flows of magnetization. But this overall churning of liquid metal itself is what causes the magnetic field to exist. And we have a magnetic field, and it's great that we do because it protects us from solar radiation. And it protects our devices from solar radiation. And it does ebb and flow, as I mentioned. You know, in some parts of the Earth, it's on average about 30 microteslas. And in other parts of the Earth, it's about 60 microteslas. It just sort of depends on your general orientation. That makes a lot of sense, given that the poles are going to be naturally more magnetic, just like a bar magnet would be. Um, however, at some point, it has historically happened, at some point, the magnetic field is going to flip. North's going to be south. South's going to be north. What's going to happen? Um, I've heard many stories about what's going to happen. Mainly that we're going to be super exposed to uh, radiation before the flip because it's going to get so weak, it's going to almost vanish, and it might not even come back. Blah, blah, blah. Ah. <laughs> and uh, then the other – no, that's that's absolute nonsense, by the way. The core would have to stop mm. spinning for that to happen. So, so that's debunk number one. Um, but also, if it does flip – yeah, there's going to be gadget problems, and we are going to be more susceptible to solar radiation, but it's not going to be world-ending. It's not even going to be world-changing. It's probably not even going to kill, like, hundreds of people. It's probably going to result in more, like, issues with electronics, and maybe about as many people would die as a result as, as die from dehydration on a super hot day in an urban area where people have access to water, but sometimes forget, you know, not trying to be callous, but I'm just saying people find ways to die and people will, would die from this, but not a lot, probably less than a hundred. So it's not world ending. That's, that's one what thing would it, sure. Now, what if it just goes what, away? What huh? would it be like? Like, would we experience any, I guess, movement here on earth where we're like, Oh, it's shifting. No, nothing of the sort. In fact, though, the main thing that we would notice is because it would weaken as it flips, just before the flip especially, um, we would be much more susceptible to solar radiation. And as a result, a lot of gadgets and things would, would be on the fritz for a little bit, but not in a world-ending way. Uh, a great example of this is, you know, the, the magnetic uh, field is weaker the higher you go in altitude. And for that reason, during magnetic storms, Pilots are more uh, bombarded by just solar radiation in general. It does increase the rate of cancer pilots mm. um, just just on those grounds. And that is a thing. There would be a minor tick in, in cancer rates because we would be more susceptible to solar radiation. Um, and then the worst case scenario, which is I don't even know what the odds would be, but it would be lower than any of the asteroid and volcano stuff, which would be what if there's a Carrington event right I at the like moment. That where the, the pulse. <laughs> and yeah, if that happened, it wouldn't even lead to enormous. It wouldn't be like a, an asteroid or volcano, but it would probably put us in the stone age for a bit. And that would be, you know, people would die, <laughs> but that's, that's very outlandish. That's extremely unlikely. I'm not remotely worried about it. The main reason I wanted to even bring it up after I had done my research was, well, it'd be nice to just let people know how the, Magnetic field works. That's kind of a yeah. fun little thing. So that's why I even bothered talking about yeah. that bit. Instead, I've had this conversation many times lately with many different people because of many different things, including a few hours ago over dinner. And this is my prediction. I think like in whatever it was, 2007 or so, whenever, well, let's, let's go back even further. In the 90s, the internet became a thing and it changed yeah. everything. And then around 2007, smartphones came out, and that changed everything. Like, our entire life has absolutely been transformed as a result. I'm calling it now. You can, you can make fun of me if I'm wrong. 
this time next year, I think that 2023 is going to be the year of AI. Oh. Because at this time, there are so many new AI programs, and they are so much more advanced than any that we've seen, and they are exponentially learning. And so that got me to thinking, what would be the strangest apocalypse? And we've, we've touched on this, but I want to examine it even further. And that is, of course, death by robot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, a.k.a. the, the up, uprising, you know. And the reason I want to talk about it, one, is because we're, we've never been as close to the possibility as now. Although I'm, I'm optimistic. I think AI is going to be largely a good thing. But even knowing that... There's a few things that are concerning. For starters, uh, a number of countries have been testing military robots. And in some states, uh, California in particular, they, they did reverse their opinion a while back <laughs> because of people getting upset. But originally they had planned, you know, hey, oh, yeah. cops are really under under fire lately and, and people are always talking about defunding them. Um, why don't we just make? Robots with guns enforce the <laughs> And I'm not even kidding. That's yeah, been a thing. And a number of other countries have been employing and experimenting with the prospect of robots as soldiers. Now, here's the problem that I have with that. First of all, there's the visceral knee-jerk reaction for anybody who's ever seen Terminator, thinking that it's a good idea to arm machines. So that's that's one. <laughs> that's not a good argument. It's just an emotional argument. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think every single time, this is like a rule. I don't know if it's considered a rule or a law. If it's not, it needs to be called James's Law. Um, anytime a new technology comes out, there will be some sort of submarket, some sort of black market, some sort of subculture or, or underculture that will exploit it for unintended reasons. Always. Doesn't matter. Look at the Internet. People use social media to connect to each other. People use social media to dox and swat people that they disagree with. People use uh, webcams to convey you know, nice things to their grandparents. People use webcams to exploit human beings like property. doesn't matter what technology is, something good or bad is going to happen. And a good example of this would be we, we color code it, different hackers. You know, if somebody does it for the security of a company, we call them a white hat hacker. If somebody does it to steal credit card information from grandmas all over the world, we call them a black hat hacker. Well, one, what's going to happen when nefarious people who are very tech savvy find out that th with a few lines of, of adequate code that they can effectively control an entire military installation? Mm -mm. That wouldn't be too good. And, and trust me, that is possible. Very possible. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was Edward Snowden who announced, I think it was today, that a lot of alphabet agencies used for their passwords for years, password 1234. So... There's a 100% chance, a 100% chance that the people who are in charge of maintaining and utilizing armed robots will be less adept at doing so <laughs> than a handful of other people mm. who got the wrong idea. So there's that. That's one issue. Another issue with uh, armed robots in general is the fact that any kind of technology that's originally employed by militaries or uh, billionaires, politicians, eventually it trickles down. And eventually, killer robots would trickle down, and eventually it would be in the hands of drug dealers and cartels. And, you know, El, El Guero in some cartel would have, you know, an assistant who's not a person. It's, it's El Robo, <laughs> and he's the one lopping heads off. So that's concerning. But to me, the most two interesting prospects for, and this is, these are my own theories, by the way, what I'm about to talk about. Technically, everything I've talked about has, has no source. It's all just been me theorizing. But, but these, are, these, are my own, these are my own theories in relation to, to AI, what I find most interesting. And it's what I call the comfortable apocalypse. Because, you know, apocalypses by their very nature are terrifying and, and uncomfortable. But I was thinking about the prospect of if, if AI did take over and we programmed it to really look after humanity in a positive way, ultimately it would domesticate us. Oh. Ultimately, it would make decisions that are in our best interest. It would make decisions so well in our best interest 
that we would have no reason to try and take risks on our own or make decisions because whatever our decisions are, best case scenario, they align with the AI and worst case scenario, they're disastrous for us. <laughs> so why have politicians when we could just have an algorithm exactly. that looks after human prosperity? That's why I've been saying that for years. Go to the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> why go to the trouble of of working day in and day out if we could have a post-scarcity economy where every single worker is simply a robot? Why do any of those things? Why struggle when we, we could be beyond struggling? This is simultaneously utopian and dystopian because it also means that the AI ultimately would make decisions about the population size. And again, we're talking about best case scenario. We're talking, I'm not talking about a scary AI that kills people. I'm talking about AI that's like, we need to, we need to be a shepherd for people. We need to manage people. We need to keep them comfortable. So these people here should not reproduce. Um, but we're not going to sterilize them or do anything mean. We might sterilize them, but if we do, it's going to be painless. Instead, we're going to let them live a hedonistic sex laden life. There's just not going to ever be subsequent generations as a result. They can just enjoy themselves. It's like a neutered dog sort of, except even better because he gets to enjoy the one thing that neutered dogs can't enjoy. <laughs> They're going to take care of us so effectively and so well. And then one day, that AI reaches a consensus that human beings have outlasted their their usefulness or their, their need to exist, or it recognizes that the innateness of, of suffering that goes along with existence is in fact a cruel treatment to humanity. And so what it does is it does that comfortable extinction that I just mentioned for some people, people that it deems shouldn't have children in the first place and it just does it to everyone and we slowly comfortably <laughs> in a almost childish paradise fizzle out and we're replaced and in that respect and this is something this is a theory of mine that uh i've, I've mentioned a couple of times probably to you guys at a restaurant but <laughs> you know when it comes to Passing on legacies from one generation to another. We're very unique. This is, again, this is all just me. Um, I think that every organism, by virtue of existing, and the reason why evolution has been such a, a functional system, is that every organism that survives and reproduces and passes on a gene, it leaves a legacy behind, a genetic legacy. And that's the ordinary way that everything has existed since the beginning of life on Earth through genetic legacies, whether it's protozoa to a subsequent generation of protozoa or a person to a person. And we're interesting. Mammals are interesting because they can leave a mimetic legacy, humans more so than anything. Uh, for example, a dog can't explain to her puppies why they should stay away from the highway, but she can instill a fear of the highway in her puppies when they're little. And in doing so, increase their survival with information, not with genetics. That's a mimetic legacy. We're unique in that we can leave behind mimetic legacies without genetic legacies. There are human beings in this world uh, who don't genetically reproduce, but they leave behind works of art and works of uh, knowledge that influence generations to come. Socrates is, you know, in some ways our, our ancestor, all of our ancestor intellectually in the West, because he left behind such a massive mimetic legacy. And then lastly, there's a material legacy, and that's leaving behind physical things for people that you, you leave behind, whether that's money or a house or what have you. Um, all those things are different legacies that are, especially when it comes to material and memetics because of language, rather unique to humans. And I would argue that even though it's terrifying, the prospect of this comfortable apocalypse that I mentioned, if we create robots, if we create artificial intelligence and they are compassionate and they carry that torch, that mimetic torch that I mentioned. In my opinion, as horrible as it would be to have a world without humans, in that respect, they would be our mimetic descendants. And as such, they would keep the flame of humanity alive and it wouldn't really be that awful. They would simply be our non-genetic descendants, a natural step in some very, at face value, unnatural direction. Ooh. James, where do you come up with these ideas? <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't have a clue. It's all, it's all that tea that you drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
It's very, uh, it's a fascinating idea. It's also kind of scary. Um, just kind of scary. Think about. I, I even think you know I was talking about the mm, what would be the word like the eugenic element about keeping some people from reproducing. That was something I had a conversation recently about. I, I was talking to somebody about uh, AI, and one of the things I pointed out I was like, well, "What if you know I, algorithms know what content to give you on the internet if you scroll it long enough." What if it becomes a matchmaker for everybody? And it's like, hey, there's 8 billion people in the world that this is the one you need to marry. That would be a form of eugenics. It would literally be guiding human generations. Again, James, where do you get these ideas? (laughs) No, as somebody who actually works with a product that utilizes true AI, I I don't know. Uh, mm. You should tell it all the things I said and see what happens. I don't have anything else to add. Alex, is there anything you want to add to all of the madness? I was feeling I was feeling fairly good about this episode, James. So I was like, you know, super volcanoes, asteroids are not that bad. Oh, <laughs> polar shifts not that would be that bad either. And then you hit us with the AI stuff. So I picture yeah. I picture Turns out polar shifts are pretty harmless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't want to descend? Or you would just like, everybody would get fat because they don't do anything because everything's automated. Yeah, well, we're pretty much there. Yeah, I mean, we are. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, that's that. Christopher, I hope that we we made you happy with our episode that is devoted to you, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find us music on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. Yes. Next week we'll be back with what will probably be one of our last Patreon-requested episodes. I know that we still have a couple of episode topics that we're waiting for. So, patrons, if we have requested a, a topic from you or you have a topic that you want us to talk about and you have not yet submitted it, Please do so, and we will get to your episode in the coming weeks. Uh, I guess, you guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep it straight.